You may take your seats. So we are um, in week seven of a series called? Yeah. Yeah, week seven. I don't like this sitting down thing. I feel constricted. <laughs> if he never did another thing. Like, if he never... Okay. My granny would say, oh, you ain't saved, saved. You ain't saved, saved until you start to talk about something and you can't finish it like this. If he never did a... If you can't do that, you ain't saved. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't saved. You ain't saved. A lot of people don't understand the goodness of God because they've never been brought through anything. They've never been in a place where they were desperate to use their faith. Anybody ever been there before? You ever been like in that prayer time? Like, God, if you, if it's, if it's going to happen, it's going to be you. Because I don't, if it's going to happen, I, it, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know where the money's going to come from. The doctors just said that they can't do, they said that they can't do nothing else for her. Like, God, if it's going to happen. The other person that's going up for this job promotion is more qualified than I am. They got a better degree than I am. But God, I know this is for me. So if it's your will, Father, if I can connect my natural to your super, then you can do a supernatural work in this place. Okay, let me get to the word. 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 Okay, so we're in week seven. Week seven of a, of a series called Made where we are looking at if God can do it. Basically, if God can do it, who can too? You can. I can. So um, on, on Saturdays, um, we have these things called doctrinal um, Saturdays where I sit with Pastor Martin. I have a little bit too much up here. Um, I sit with Pastor Martin, and he, like, literally takes what I believe. He takes what I think I'm going to teach, and he literally rips it apart. One thing about mentorship and father being fathered is everybody wants the picture. Everybody wants the photo. But they don't want to sit and have how they think be ripped apart. Um, and he'll literally take my notes, because it, it, it'll take me seven days, like legitimately, say seven days, seven. to teach to you for 45 to 50 minutes, to literally take scriptures and what I'm thinking and what dad has given me as wisdom and all these other men and women that I watch and that I glean from the books that I've read to give you 50 minutes of information. That's why whenever you see somebody with a finished product, you get to taste it for 10, 15 minutes, but you don't understand... You don't understand what went into what you are consuming. That's why when somebody tells you that they have a service, if you try to undersell them or try to get a discount, you're telling them that the work that you did to give me this is wasn't worth it. So I Today, you're going to sell your product at a premium. Your product is your words. Your product is when you speak, life comes. But I'm, I'm ahead of myself. So uh, we were in this conversation about doctrine, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, doctrine, and um, he was running through what I was about to teach, the word, how it connects to what God is going to do. And um, he, I, I was checked. Can somebody say checked? checked? I want you to write this down. Revelation minus experience equals suggestion. But revelation plus experience equals advice. The difference between suggestion and advice is that somebody's actually been through it, they've done it, or they're in it. 
Suggestion is when somebody tries to give you the highest thought that they have on an issue, but they've never been through it because they don't have the experience to attach to it. Every person in this room can get revelation. God can tell you that two plus two equals four, but if you've never taken a math class in your life, you don't have the experience. Therefore, it's just a suggestion. But if you've had three, four kids and you've had to go to the jailhouse to get them out and you had to go get them off the street and you've, and you've had to like figure out like, oh, my, my son or daughter is not going to be addicted to this today. When you give somebody parental advice, it's not suggestion. What is it? It's advice. We got to stop taking suggestions from people that have not experienced the revelation of God. That's where we get in trouble is when somebody says, well, this is what I would do, but you've never been through it. It's not saying that you're discredited. It's just if you've been through it, you got some tools that you can give me that actually work. Your tools are dirty, which means that you've used them a couple of times, and it means that they, okay, y'all, okay, let me move on, let me move on. So I want you to understand something, right? And then I'll give you my title, because the title's like the big reveal, right? But I, I, want, I want you to think about something. Okay, in Genesis 2.20, remember how God tells Adam, he says, he, he commissions him to name all of the what? The animals. He says, name everything, like the birds, the creeps, the cattle, like, but I want you to name them by name. This is what I want, I want to ask you this morning, and this is the question that, that was posed to me over this last couple of days. When Adam got done naming the animals, what did Jesus or God say? God didn't say anything. Once Adam had done his work, God looked at it, and we have to assume that if he didn't say anything, that he saw it as good. Which basically means that since Adam was made from God, that means that the same words that God used to make everything around him, that Adam had the same power. So if God could say it's good, then when Adam got done with his job and said that it was good, that means that God had to agree with what he said. So I started thinking, so what does that mean? So in my brain, this is how it works. If Adam named all of the animals and it was done and God didn't say anything, that means that what was in Adam's brain, God had already agreed with. So by the time that it came out of his mouth and he saw the zebra, he saw the giraffe, he saw the elephant, he saw the cow, God was like, yep, 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 yep. So then you start to think, if I'm made like God and if God can speak things and it's good when it comes out of his mouth, so then if I'm created in his image, does that mean, Jason, that when I say something that God already has the yes behind supporting it? So that means that sometimes when I'm praying and I don't hear anything from God after I've prayed for it, is it because he's already agreed with it as I'm saying? So I'm looking for God to respond with, yes, you can have that. Yes, you should have that. But as I'm saying it, God's like, yep, 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 that too, that too. So then when you start to think about it, you start to think about this, right? You, you, start, you start to think anything that comes out of my mouth, if it's in my brain and it's righteous, can somebody say righteous? righteous. If you say, man, I'm going to murder my neighbor and God doesn't say anything, that ain't because God is saying, yeah, go do it. No, no. That's because God is calling the angels Michael and Gabriel like, hey, you got to go smite this brother. No. If what is in your brain and what is in your mouth is righteous, as it comes out of your mouth, you have now declared and decreed something on earth as it is in So this is going to be our context for the day. You ready? If you're ready, clap once. If you're ready, clap two times. There it is. Here it is. So when we look at the word dry... What does it mean? How does it taste? Have you ever been in a space where you had cotton mouth or you had a dry, like a dry spell where you couldn't find any water? Let's think about it. Where does dryness, what does dryness look like? It looks like four different things when it comes to our lives. I'm going to teach you today. I'll probably preach at the end, but I really think that you, like, we just need to get this. 
Dryness looks like this. It looks like stagnation, silence, darkness, and numbness. Stagnation is when you're literally going nowhere. Anybody ever been there before? Like you try stuff, try stuff, don't work. Try stuff, try stuff, try stuff, don't work. Try stuff, try stuff, switch it up, try it, don't work. Try it up, nope, didn't work. Switch it, like, it's like no matter what I'm doing, it seems like I'm running in, like, in place and I'm not making it anywhere. Anybody? The second is silence, is where you literally can't hear anything. Any, any men in the room, fathers, husbands, brothers, like your job is to get vision from God. Your, your job is to be able to look at a situation that the rest of your family is freaking out at, and you're supposed to be able to look at it and see what you're supposed to do, either be it by the revelation of God or because you got some experience and God has given you that to give advice in your family. But have you ever been in a place where you were supposed to be the one to lead, but you don't even, you can't hear anything? And then somebody always asks you that famous question, so what are we supposed to do? Isn't it funny that when you don't know what to do, everybody asks you what the next move is? But the funny thing is that we usually lean on our own understanding and we don't go to our, we don't go to our knees and ask God, God, what is, what, 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 what is it? Because if you're having a problem with your hearing, it's not your ears. Number three, dryness looks like darkness. It's when you can't see where you're going. And I'm, I'm not talking about being blind like when you're driving out in the dark. No, I'm, I'm talking about where, like, where is this family going? Like, we got married. That's great. But, like, for what? I'm in school, and it's paid for, but, like, what? What is this degree? You ever been eating a meal and got bored? Happens to me often. I'll be eating, I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm just tired of it. The fourth thing that dryness looks like is numbness. And this one is when you can't feel anything. This is probably one of the scariest ones because as winter is coming, we have a lot of people here in Omaha that are, I don't know why, maybe it's the cost of living, don't know. But they're migrating to Omaha and they're homeless. And it's interesting because they stay here. Like they don't come here in the summer and then move on to go to like the ocean, like East Coast, West Coast. Like they stay here. But we, we it, 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 it get cold. The problem with hypothermia isn't realizing that you're cold. The problem with hypothermia is realizing when you don't feel anything anymore. So we have a bunch of numb Christians that are trying to figure out where God is, but they can't even feel a move. We can't even feel a move of God because we don't even know what it feels like to feel our toes anymore. You can't get a gauge on your family, your wife, your school, your boss, not because they're missing the mark. It's because you can't even feel what's happening. So then where does dryness come from? If, if, if we know what it looks like, like, look at your neighbor. Say, what causes dryness? Look at your other neighbor. Like, like what, what, what causes something to be dry, to, to lose this moisture? Number one is lack. Number two is negligence. And number three is deficiency. Just follow me. Are we following? Okay. Lack means that you can't get enough of something. A lot of people don't like this word so socialism because they believe, like, I shouldn't give of what I have to somebody that doesn't have as much. Well, we don't necessarily call it socialism, but in the kingdom, it means that I'm supposed to have more than enough so that I can give to those that don't have enough so call it socialism, call it whatever you need, but if you believe in this thing called the kingdom of God, the more that you get, the more that you're supposed to give a way. So dryness comes when you feel like you don't have enough of something. 
Dryness also comes when you are negligent and you don't care enough to go get something. The word of God says that my people are dying because of a lack of what? Understanding and knowledge. If it's in a book and you don't know about the book, does that mean that the knowledge is not readily available? So once you become a human being, once you become, I'm sorry, once you become a salvaged person in Christ, the information that's in the word of God, you are, you are no longer ignorant to it. It's just that you haven't accessed it. And we become negligent because we walk past the word. We walk past the, we click on the YouTube video about success without the one, rather than the one that where somebody's speaking to our specific situation because we're negligent of what's actually happening on the inside. The third way that dryness comes is because of a deficiency. Say deficiency. Sometimes dryness comes because you literally don't have what it takes to create it for yourself. Growing up, I had asthma. And I've been dealing with like this weird spell in the past couple of weeks where I'm dealing with shortness of breath. Has anybody ever dealt with that before? So it's not that I have a lack of oxygen. It's not that I'm negligent, like I don't care that I have oxygen. But it's that my body doesn't even have enough capacity to get the air out here into my own body. So there are times like we're all young and people think I'm sleepy. It's like, no, I'm trying not to pass out. But how do we look in, in, in God's kingdom when we are literally deficient in what God wants to give us? We have a bunch of tired Christians that are out here yawning, but everything that you need is sustainable if you change your capacity to breathe. So this is my title. I know a lot of y'all look at me like, when he's going to get to it? This is my title for today. It's called Dry Bones. Dry what? Bones. Dry bones. So in Genesis 2, 4 through 7, God makes man. And we, we understand it all, right? Like God makes him in his likeness. God, God makes him just like him, but, but out of dirt. But I want to make sure that you understand something. So can we go to the word for a second? In Genesis, in Genesis 2, 4, it says, and this is the message, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Underline verse number 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he did what? In the message, it says that he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became what? A living being. So God can create you in his image, but if you do not give him the opportunity to breathe into you, you're just a mannequin. Can we talk? So you can believe in the goodness, matchless work of Jesus Christ. You can accept him into your heart. But if you do not allow him to into your life, to breathe into your life, to speak into your life, yeah, you're going to heaven, but earth isn't going to be as good as it is. it's going to be up there. Come on, come on. So we have a lot of people, and I've been there. I know God. I know everything. I know the word. I'm, I mean, I sit over here. I should. I'm in the man's house. I better know the word, right? I better know the word. If nobody knows the word, your boy better. But I was dead and lifeless because I was refusing to allow God to resuscitate my dead body. So can I tell you a story this morning? So how many of you know about Ezekiel? Ezekiel was a priest living in Jerusalem when the first Babylonian attack happened on the city of Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem is very important because it's basically like the Mecca of, of our faith. It's a lot of great, amazing things happen in Jerusalem from births to wars being won, kings ruling forever. So like Jerusalem is very important. Just the, the place is important, not necessarily the buildings or the city, but the place, right? Like home is where the heart is, I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, home is where the heart is, right? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Or heart is where the home is? Or either way, however you say it, it's home and heart, and they're both in the same space where they need to be. <laughs> it doesn't matter what house you're in. It doesn't matter where you are. As long as your people are around you, that's where it is. That, that's where home is. But I want you to understand something. I want you to write this down. Wherever home was were where God decided to dwell. At this point in time where we meet Ezekiel, God had, desi- had, to, had decided to dwell in Jerusalem. What did he decide to do? To what? Which means that he decided to live there. He, he decided to rest there. So if you were in that city, it was almost impossible for you not to have a move of God. To, you were always seeing miracles. You were always seeing people being healed. Like, like little like three-year-olds were telling you what the weather was going to be like tomorrow because God lived there. A lot of places can feel like home, but it's not home because God isn't there. You ever been in a place that was aesthetically how you saw it was beautiful, but how you felt was like, okay, this feels yucky. Because you can be in a place that feels physically comfortable, but your spirit is not at home because daddy's not there. So Ezekiel is in this city when the Babylonians come and attack. Now, the Babylonians are basically the enemy of the Israelites, of God's people. To be totally honest, the, Israel, uh, the Israelites, God's people, had l- like literally hundreds of enemies. Because once somebody sees that you got something on your life that they can't get, you automatically become their what? We're not going to go there. So the Babylonians at this time decided to spare the city of Jerusalem when they attacked it. But this is what they did. They ended up taking prisoners and they ended up taking Israelites into exile. So they take like hundreds of thousands of Israelites out into the desert where they basically aren't necessarily in slavery, but they're not free. Like you're not a slave, but you're not free. So you're kind of like in the middle. You ever been there before? Like where you like, I can't put my, I can't put my finger on it, but like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. That's what it means. Like, I would rather be on the rock being hurt or in the hard place, but being in this place where I don't know where it's coming next, I don't like it. So Ezekiel is a part of this group of people where he's literally out in the desert, but he can't put his finger on why he's out there. So Ezekiel begins five years after this attack has happened. So when you start the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has been in exile for five years. Say five years. In chapters one through three of Ezekiel, he has this visitation from God. So basically what happens is on Ezekiel's 30th birthday in, in this custom, um, 30 is significant because he would, have been, he would have already been studying like the scrolls and the words of Jesus. He would have already been like, like studying all of like, like the, the words so that he could be a, 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 a teacher. And at 30, he was supposed to be installed as a priest, but he finds himself in exile. This is my year. I'm supposed to get it all, but I'm in, but I'm in exile. Like, God, you gave me a word. You gave me a word, but I'm in the desert like, dry. I ain't got nothing, but this is the time I'm supposed to receive it, but I can't get it. So on Ezekiel's 30th birthday, he gets a visitation from God, and God commissions Ezekiel to be his appointed man to get a message to the Israelites in their rebellion. So what we understand is that the Babylonians, when they came, remember how I talked about how like, they came and they attacked the city? The reason why they were able to attack the city is because the Israelites, God's chosen people living in Jerusalem, had lost their way. They had no longer allowed God to be the source, so therefore God didn't have to protect them. A lot of the times, it's not that God wants bad things to get to you. It's sometimes we live our lives in a way that deems it possible for him to take his covering off of us. 
So the attack of the Babylonians on Jerusalem, I'm teaching, it's not preaching. I know you want to hoop and holler, but this is so important. The Israelites were able to be attacked on not because God is bad, but because they weren't good. So in a lot of our situations, you got to understand something. It's not always that God doesn't love you because we know he loves us all the time. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves of the protection. You ever watch gangster movies? Don't lie to me. Y'all ever watch gangster movies? What's that one with Denzel Washington? No, not that one. The other one, the good one. Not training day, the other one. American Gangster. Do you remember when they were paying, remember when they were paying protections? Listen, remember when they were paying protections to the gangsters that ran the city while he was building it? And then he tried to kill one of their generals and they took their protection off of them? It wasn't that their protection wasn't good enough. It's just that he had disqualified the covenant that he had made with them. So the Israelites have disqualified themselves from God being able to cover them. And now Ezekiel is in the desert. Is that making any sense? Okay. So God commissions Ezekiel to be his appointed man to get a message to the Israelites in their rebellion. Remember, Ezekiel's 30. He's like, I'm supposed to be a priest, but I'm in the desert. So God, why are you talking to me? Because my moment that I was supposed to have, it's already missed me. If I was 30, in the, in, if I was 30 and I was a priest in the temple, your vision to me would make sense. But since I don't have the sight to see what you're trying to take me to in the desert, I don't think it's for me. Sometimes you're in a situation where God gives you revelation and you think it's not for you. No, no, no. Vision is for you because God wants to take you to the place where you're going, not where you are. So God commissions Ezekiel. And this is the reason why the Israelites were in rebellion. They were giving their allegiance to other gods. But most importantly, they were worshiping other gods. You can say that you trust somebody, but once you decide to get on your knees and worship them, they become your God. Like you can reverence and glorify your job. Like, God, I thank you for this job. But the minute that you start worshiping it, now it's become your source, and now God can't breathe life into you because two oxygen sources can't occupy the same. Chapters 4 through 5, Ezekiel uses different methods to get his message across. It takes three chapters for Ezekiel to stop fighting with God once he tells him, I don't care what you think. This is what you're supposed to do. But God, I'm in the desert. I don't care. I don't have any water. What? I'm, I'm God. It takes him three chapters. Sometimes it takes us 30 to 50 years, but like... That vision that he gave you at 10 doesn't change at 55. It's the same vision. Chapters 4 through 5, he starts to do these illustrated sermons. They're more like acting, but Ezekiel's the first person to do illustrated sermons. So when you see this stuff that I'm doing up here or other pastors, we ain't the first ones to do it. Ezekiel is. So Ezekiel starts to illustrate what's going to happen to the people if they don't listen and give their hearts back to God. So this is what he does. The first thing he does is he builds a tiny model of Jerusalem out of rocks and stones and like spit and gravel. And he, and he stages an attack on the city, basically saying the Babylonians that attacked Jerusalem and they just took the people. Like they remember how I said that they spared the city. Well, he says this next time they're going to burn it to the ground. The second thing that he does is he cuts off all of his hair and he throws it up in the air and he chops it with a sword. Basically saying that your source will be chopped up away from you. Like, if you take your hair out, if you take your follicle out of your hair, that hair's not going to come back. So as you're hurting yourself, God's not going to be able to come and sustain your life anymore. The third thing that he does is that he lays down on his side for a year. Say a year. year. 365 days. He lays on his side for a year, and he eats food that was cooked over feces. Say feces. You know what feces is? Caca. Poop. Doo-doo. 
But the reason why he's doing it is he's expressing to them, if you do not get the picture, you will be in bondage. And, you're going, and the only source of nutrients that you're going to have is going to come from something that you don't need in your body. If you don't get in right standing with God, you will be in literal bondage, tied up. And the only thing that you will be able to eat is the leftovers. Leftovers isn't what's left on the plate. Leftovers is after you've eaten it, what comes out, that's leftovers. Can we talk? But this is the thing. Write this down. After God gives him this vision of all the things that he's going to do, in the sixth chapter, he tells Ezekiel these words. He says, but guess what, Ezekiel? No one's going to listen to you. Wait a minute, God. You, you just told me that I'm going to do all these amazing things. You're going to give me all of these revelations. And you've already sold me that Jerusalem's not going to be attacked. But now you're telling me after laying down for a year with my hands tied around my back and eating this doo-doo food, they're not going to listen? I think Jesus, God, and all of them were trying to get Ezekiel to understand something. If they were to listen to you, you would get the glory. But sometimes your situation has to be rejected so that God can remind you that I sent you here. So in chapters 8 through 11, he sees another vision. And he's taking on this, like, this virtual tour of Jerusalem. Remember? He's 30. He should be there. He should be becoming installed as a priest. But God literally takes him in a vision to, 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 uh, to, to, uh, to the temple. And what he sees is that the Israelites that used to worship God are now worshiping idols. And the significance of this is that now Ezekiel understands why God is visiting him in the desert. God is visiting Ezekiel in the desert because he has left Jerusalem. The place where he used to reside, the place where he used to abide, the place where we used to see miracles and everything. But this proves that God will leave all of those people to come to talk to you. In your season of isolation, in your season of a desert dry place, God says, you know what? I can't get all of these folks to get it. So let me just go talk to one person. That's why sometimes when you walk into situations and you think that you're going crazy because you're the only one that got the revelation, it's because you were the only one that God could talk to. So God tells Ezekiel, the reason why I'm talking to you in the desert is because Jesus hasn't died yet. So I literally cannot be all places at one time. So I'm choosing to be with you so that you will be my appointed man to point my people back in the right direction. Sometimes it feels like you're by yourself in a situation. I want to burst your bubble this morning. You are. Why? Because God has appointed you. There's something in your DNA. There's something in your voice. The way that you're, like when you speak, it vibrates different. And God wants to use that. So if he tried to use somebody else, yeah, he could get the job done. But wouldn't it be amazing if every single person that got vision from God just said yes and did what they were told to do? And think about this. How many more days were the, like, the Israelites in Jerusalem going through turmoil when, I, when Ezekiel was trying to figure it out? What if God would have told him to do what he told him to do and he just said yes and did it? It would have been less time of people suffering. There are some people that are literally suffering because you have not decided to say yes. We, we, we talk and laugh about past, uh, Bishop Strong would follow the man with the water pitcher. Ha, ha, ha. No, no, no. But what if you're the one that God's trying to give the water pitcher to and the people in that community that you keep saying no to are the ones with the empty cups? God sustains life through his people, but if he's picked you and you feel like you're alone, you are because you're the one he wants to use. So chapter 11, God makes a promise to him. 
So he tells them, I'm coming to restore you. You're going to do all these amazing, great sermons. They ain't going to listen to you. But then after they don't listen to you, I'm going to give you the promise. You want to know a way that you know that it's God, it's not the devil, and it's not you? Is when at the end of what you hear spiritually, if there's a promise. God doesn't leave doors just open, and he doesn't leave just loose ends. He might tell you some things, but at the end of it, he'll always tell you, but I promise you I'll be with you. He doesn't just leave you. I'll give you $100 if you can find one in this word. And I know this thing like frontwards and backwards. There's not one time that God abandoned somebody and abandoned them without the promise. Joshua, I'm going to be with you. Moses, I'm going to be with you. Daniel, in the lion's den, I'm going to be with you. Shadrach, be, uh, Shadrach Meshach, and Abad, ne- no, Abednego. You're going to be in the fire. It's not going to consume you because I'm going to be with you. So God, as he's talking to Ezekiel, he doesn't want him to be discouraged because he says, even though they're not listening to you, I'll be with you. So then this another question comes. Sometimes in our lives, is it that we don't think that we're enough or is that we think that God's not enough to be with us? So we walk into situations and God gives you this amazing revelation in the board meeting and seven people in that room don't agree with you and you feel like you've lost it. But wait a minute, the God Almighty is the one that said he's with you, so... Even if they don't say yes, you already got the one yes that created them. Look at your neighbor and say, one is enough. So God promises Ezekiel that he will remove his people's hearts of stone. Stone is dry. It's cracked. It doesn't have any moisture in it. At one point, it was mud and there was moisture. But once the moisture goes away, it becomes hard. He says, what I'm going to do, Ezekiel, is once you get done with this, what I, the work I'm going to do with my people is I'm going to take out that, that heart of stone and I'm going to give them back a heart of flesh so that they can love me correctly and they can see themselves right. Yeah. You ever met somebody with a hard heart? Yeah. What are the characteristics? They're cold. They're brash. They're quick to say something. Sometimes they don't say anything at all. But somebody with a fleshy heart, they're, they're, they're selfless. Anything and everything that they have is yours. Anybody got a good grandmama? I'm talking about a good, I call her granny. Meemaw, Gigi, Nini. <laughs> Anybody? What are the characteristics of a good grandma? You gain 50 pounds. You just breathe in the house and you gain some weight. Because everything that she does for you comes from a heart that's broken, not from a heart that's cracked. If I break something, it's because I've made the decision. But if it's cracked, it was an accident. That's why we believe in our word that you break your heart for what breaks God's heart. Because it's a sacrifice of saying, God, I want you to fill in this space that's the crack. But once you stop getting nutrients from God, your heart will crack, which is an accident because your heart was made to pump. It was made to be soft. But if you don't allow God to breathe into that space, no amount of blood will be able to punt through it. So this is the word. You ready for it? This is it. That was the teaching. Now, can I, can, can I preach to you all just for a second? Okay, I'm just tired of this chair anyway. <laughs> Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. Ezekiel gets another vision. The entire book of Ezekiel, if you're trying to figure out how to hear from God, if you're trying to hear, figure out Jeremy, if you're trying to figure out how to decipher between God's voice, your voice, and the voice of the enemy, read Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel gives you chapter by chapter how to trust God physically how to trust God spiritually, and how to trust God when you don't hear anything. Ezekiel is an amazing book for it, right? So Ezekiel 1, it says, God grabbed me. This is Ezekiel talking. 
This is after he's done all that stuff. He sat down for a year and ate poopy food. He cut his hair off. He did the pillage and everything. He's still trying to talk to God's people. God grabs Ezekiel. God's spirit took me up and set me down in the middle of an open plain strewn with what? He led me around and among them a lot of bones. There were bones all over the plain, dry bones. Underline this, bleached by the what? which means that they had been sitting there for a minute. It's not just that the bones didn't have life. It was that the bones had been sitting out there for a long time to be bleached by the sun. Sometimes your situation isn't just dead. It's been stagnant for a long period of time. Let's be honest. God showed you something, and, and you don't know why or how it's going to work, and it didn't work in 99, but now it's 2019. It's not, it doesn't die over and over again. It's been, stag it's been stagnant. So that means it's been sitting in the sun, and it's lost its color because it's just been sitting there. So the third chapter, he said to me, underline this, son of man, what? Can these bones live? God commissions Ezekiel to ask him a question. How many times has God asked you a question and just waited for your response? Sometimes you respond to God with his word, Jason. Sometimes you respond to God with what he did. But sometimes you respond to God with what you want. Let me prove it to you. Third chapter. He says, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Ezekiel says, master God, only you're the only one that knows. But then listen to what God says. Prophesy over these bones, dry bones. Listen to the message of God. Five through six. God, the master, told the dry bones. Watch this. I'm bringing the breath of life to you and you'll come to life. I'll attach sinews, which is basically like tendons and ligaments to you. I'll put meat on your bones, cover you, with, cover you with skin, and breathe life into you. You'll come alive, and you'll realize that I am God. Now, look at, chap, look at verse number seven. What does it say? I did what? Period. Don't look, don't look at the rest of it. God told me to do something. I didn't question him. I prophesied. God told me that I was supposed to have something. I didn't go and try to get it myself. What did I do? I prophesied. God showed me that it was possible. I didn't go and try to figure it out. What did I do? I opened up my mouth and I said, what you just showed me, I claim it now. We just, stay with me. We just talked about how Adam was made just like God. And when he made the animals, that God didn't say anything, not because he didn't have anything to say. It was just like, you, you said it. This is what you want. This is what it is. He could have called a, a hippo a pair of scissors, and we would be like, hey, look at that pair of scissors today. And it wouldn't be weird because he called it that. What in your life do you need to change the name of? Where is there a lack in your life that you just need to start speaking abundance? Where is there frustration in your life that you just need to speak clarity? Where is there death in your life that you just need to speak life into that situation? Not try to figure out what, what, what doctor to go to. Not try to figure out what therapy, therapist or what counselor to go to. No, no, no. If you speak something, if you're made like God, that means that once you say it, God says yes at the same time. So Ezekiel says that I prophesied just as I had been commanded. And as I prophesied, listen, what does he say? There was a sound and oh, a rustling. The bones moved and came together bone to bone. I kept watching sinews like the tendons and the ligaments formed, then muscles on the bones, then skin stretched over them. But listen, what does it say? But they had no 
So everything in your life can seem to work, but you can still feel dead. So you can do everything in your power to do something, but God is still waiting for his stamp of approval. God tells Ezekiel, I want you to speak to the bones, and the bones are going to do what you tell them to do, but they will only have life when I breathe in them. So many are the plans in a man's heart. You can do as much as you want, but it's the will of God that sustains him forever. So as many plans as you have, that's great. That's like having a skeletal structure. You got, oh, that's awesome. You built the skeleton, that's great. You put tendons on it, you put muscle on it and skin on it, that's great. But God is still not working. Yeah, because it can't have life until you allow me to breathe into it. When was the last time you gave God permission to breathe into your family? When was the last time you looked at your finances, you said, God, your will be done? When was the last time you looked at your body before you wouldn't trust a doctor? Looked at your body and say, God, you made this. And the reason why it's probably dysfunctioning is because it doesn't have the original breath of life in it. So I need you to, I, I need you to breathe in this thing. We were on a cruise at one point in time when I was younger. And this, this young man, I don't know what happened, but like if you ever go on a cruise, make sure that you communicate with your kids not to walk on the side of the boat at night by themselves. I don't know why you have to tell them that, but say la vie, I say less. Such is life. Um, but any, any, anyway, this, this, this kid had, was like playing, and like if this is the, the end of the boat, and this is like where like the buffet and stuff is, like he had climbed over the railing, and he was holding on to the, um, holding on to the railing and like doing like one of these numbers from Titanic. <laughs> right? By the way, I turn it off before they hit the iceberg, because I'm like, oh, they're all alive, it's great. Anyway. Just a, just a nugget, just a nugget. Um, kind of like an Armageddon, I turn it off before the asteroid hits. It's like, oh, this is beautiful. Turn it off. But he was sitting like this, and if you know on boats, they have like these prongs, and the prongs are basically like these sensors that allow the captain in the front to know like when they're close to things. Like it sends off a, a sensor. But anyway, um, they end up telling everybody on the boat what happens, not to make an embarrassment of the person, but to let you guys all know. It can be, it, it could be any of y'all. So this, this kid, evidently, from what they said, was he lost, his, he lost his footing, and he lost his, like, his hand or whatever, but that sensor was right behind him. So when he grabbed and pulled forward, he punctured his lung. <gasps> He's fine. It was years ago. Calm down. <gasps> y'all are so invested. This is great. So he punctures his lung, and, and they start to resuscitate him. The only reason why me and my sister knew about it, because anybody been on a cruise before? It was like the second to last day, and every day, yes, ma'am, every day, like, they show movies. And, like, we were watching a movie, but then all of a sudden we heard this kid scream. So everybody, what do you do? You run towards, the, like, the fire, right? Like, I mean, now in a horror movie, black people run. Just want to make sure you know. That's why we're not in the movies. That's why they kill us in the first 15 minutes. What was that? I don't know, bro, but I'm going <laughs> to... But we all ran towards it. Can we have fun this morning? Yes. You ain't never seen no black man in a horror movie. What was that? Oh, let's go find out. No, bro, I'm out. We see a spider in our house, and we get, like we putting this joint up for sale. <laughs> Short sale. Anybody got two dollars? Two dollars, right? <laughs> anyway, so he he gets his he gets his lung punctured. He gets his lung punctured, and he's laying down, like 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 he's. He, he's, he's laying down, and um, the paramedics come, because every boat has, like, police. You can go to jail on a boat. Like, j like, like 
look at your neighbor and say, big jail. Like, like jail, jail. Like when you get back to the States, like they, you don't get your bags. No, they say, oh, here's a jumpsuit. Like jail, jail. And they have like a medical wing. Like they can literally do surgery on the boat. Anyway, so this kid, anybody bored? Good. Okay. This kid laying down and the paramedics come and they start trying to resuscitate him because he had passed out because of like the shock. When your lung collapses, it means that you, like, you have no capacity, it has no capacity to, to breathe, kind of like when you pop a balloon. But this is what happens. The lady comes and she starts trying to resuscitate him. And she says, it's almost impossible to resuscitate him because his lungs are fighting me. You need what I got because I got two lungs and you got one. But you're resisting the breath of life that I'm trying to give you to jumpstart your lungs. Because your lungs, just like your heart, breathe in a pattern. You ever thought about breathing? Now you're doing it because you're thinking about it. But your lungs do it by themselves. Your heart beats by itself. And it does it in a rhythm. So sometimes it can be off beat. So her job was to bring the rhythm back to him. But every time that she went to breathe into his body, his lungs would exhale. How many times in our lives is God trying to get us something and we're blowing back at him? God's like, I'm trying to give you life, but every time I, you go, you want to know what that sounds like? You're supposed to be wealthy, but God, we ain't never had no money. Your marriage can live. Man, I don't know why I married this woman. Like, you're supposed to be an amazing leader, and you're supposed to be educated. God, I don't know where the money's going to come from. Nobody in my family's ever done it before. And what God has to do is he has to say yes to what you say yes to. Not because it's his will, but because it's what you have said. How many situations is God trying to breathe life into and you're fighting him with your ignorance? Once he tells you that you can grasp something, you already attain what, he, what it's going to take to get it. So let me give you some points. Chicken might be getting cold at the house. Let, let, let's, get some, uh, let's get some points. Number one, you ready? This is the homework. This is the work. If you're looking for a time to start taking notes, this is it. This is it. Number one. Somebody say message. message. Number one. We have the power to breathe life just like God. Like any person that tells you anything other than this is lying to you. Any person that tells you something other than this phrase right here is really trying to manipulate you. Because once you realize that you have the same power of God, you realize that you are an independent, free-thinking person. What I want, God wants, and if I say it, I can breathe life into anything at the same time? Once you know that, you're a dangerous person. Because if you get your will lined up with God's will, a lot of things will start walking up. Not like Frankenstein, but they'll start to have life like Lazarus coming back from the dead. Proverbs 18.21, it says, death and life are in the power of the... And those who love it will eat its fruit. That's the New King James Version. But listen to the message. It says, words kill. Not power in life is in the word, in, in, like, power in life is in the power of the tongue. No, no, no. Your words, what you say, your words are assassins. Which means that God can give you something and your words can go and kill it in the night. God can give you a word that your family's supposed to be at another place, at another level, that you're supposed to be at another level. And just by you even thinking it, you have literally murdered what God wants for you. So we have a lot of, mm, can't say that. Can't say that. Dad, text me if I can, because if I can, I'm, I'm coming with it. 
So we can abort a lot of things, not because the baby wasn't ready to be born, but because we enacted something that wasn't supposed to happen. Number two, look at your neighbor and say, it had to be hard. Remember when God tells Ezekiel that they're not going to listen to you? What if I told you that in your situation it had to be difficult so that God could prove something to you? Like the situations when you go and you try to like make something happen and you, like I was talking about before, you try stuff, try stuff, doesn't work. Switch it up. Try stuff, try stuff, it doesn't work. What if it wasn't to prove to you that he's God? What if it was to prove to you that you actually have resilience? What, what if when things didn't work out, every day you decided to get back up, God is actually trying to train you to have strength to keep going? Because sometimes God knows that you got to fail and try and fail and try and fail and try. Because once you get to what I really want for you, you're not going to be able to fail. You're not going to be able to quit when you get there. So I need you to quit as many times as you can this time. Because when the big one comes, you're not going to be able to say, God, I can't, I can't breathe. I can't do it. No, no, no. So when you fail, look at them as lessons. When you fail, look at them as opportunities to learn. Because when God gives you what you need, you can't be frustrated when they give you the chance to play in the NBA, the NFL, and you can't breathe. This is why we went to practice. This is why I told you to run every single day. This is why I gave you the meal plan so that you could fail and try again. But by the time that the lights come on and we put that helmet on your head, you can't use your excuse that you're not ready. So what if it had to be hard to prove to you that you can make it through harder things? Do you want the word? Let me give you the word. Just for y'all looking at me. I don't believe it. Here it is. Why would God give Ezekiel the power to be his appointed man and then tell him they won't listen to him in the same breath? You're going to be the guy that I'm going to use, but nobody's going to listen to you. Why would he say that? Not to scare him, but to let him know, I'm trying to build something in you that is going to be used to save the people. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't run now. The hardened heart keeps our eyes on God. Remember when Moses was going to go to Pharaoh? Moses is, I mean, Pharaoh is like the most powerful person in Egypt. And God says, I'm going to harden his heart, Moses, for when you go to ask him to release the people, he's not going to do it. It wasn't because he wanted the situation to be unbearable to Moses. No, no, no. He says, if you can't deal with him saying no here, you're not going to deal with 40 years in the desert. If you can't, tell, if you can't take one man telling you no, I ain't going to let him go, you ain't going to make it a day in the desert. Because in those 40 years, Moses, I'm not going to talk to anybody. So if you can't follow my instructions when it's easy, how can I trust that you're going tr to trust me when it's hard? Anybody have parents? If you can't obey my voice in the house, how can I know that when you're out there and you're wrong, when you're out there and I can't protect you, when you're out there and I can't get to you, how do I know that you're going to make sure that you understand me out there if you won't do it in here? But we want the big one. God, man, give me the 40 years in the desert. I'm ready to go. I'm with it. And God's like, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. Because you didn't even go and affirm your son when he was crying yesterday. So how am I? Why would I give you a position in work and you won't even get the position to your son? Like, what, where do we jump levels 1 through 50 and get to 51? No, no, no. Because you've got to use the same grace at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And if you skip to 50, it's because God has taken you there. But look at your neighbor and say, every level matters. If you don't trust God now, you can't trust him where he's taking you. I want to make sure you understand 
Your growth builds glory by glory, day by day. So if you have no faith now, God can't take you to where he wants to take you because the faith that it takes to trust him right now, it's going to be the same faith. Like you don't get like the golden amulet and the sword of fire like in, like in Legends of Zelda, right? When you play and you get a better sword every single time. No, 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 no. Rather, in every level of your life, your faith gets another piece added to it. Like, God, this is what you did for me over here. I'm just going to add that to my faith. And you took care of that over here. I'm going to add that to my faith. So by the time that you get to what God has called you, you're able to use your faith, and that's all you need. You don't need a prayer from somebody else. I don't need nobody to lay hands on me. Do you know who lives inside of me? I ain't got to come to no altar and ask you for forgiveness. The, God, the king of glory lives on me. Uh, number three. Look at your neighbor and say, distinguish the three voices. You've got to realize the difference between God, Satan, and yourself. If you don't hear anything else I say today, you've got to understand that the difference. Say the difference, the difference. Between the three. You've got to figure it out. God's voice speaks in many different ways. Your voice is the loudest because it literally lives in between your two ears. Everything is louder in your head. We could crank up these. We could crank up all of our sound system. We could blow everybody's eardrums in here, Right? But guess what? You would still hear your thoughts. Even if you're deaf, you could still hear what's going on in here. So you got to understand the difference between when God's saying something and when you're just speaking poison to yourself. The third is the enemy. Once you can distinguish them, you will be able to plan your next move. Listen, listen, listen. Once you can tell who is talking to you, you're able to move. You ever talk to your child and once they heard your voice, what do they do? Because they know the sound of your voice. So this is why it is so important for you to build a relation with God and so you can recognize him. God speaks in, different, in, in a couple of different ways. He speaks audibly in 1 Kings 19. We see that he speaks in the still, small voice. He speaks through scripture. In Psalms 138 and 2, it says God even puts his word above what? His own name. Number three, God speaks through people. Sometimes wisdom comes from those that are in an unlikely source. You ever got a revelation from somebody that had never been through what you've been through and you get mad at the person, but you're really not mad at them because what they said was the truth? Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Number four, he moves in dreams and visions. You remember Jacob's ladder? Genesis 28 where Jacob, is a, he's, he's, he's awake, but he's in this dream vision state where he sees these angels ascending and descending off of, off of a ladder into heaven. The fifth is through the Holy Spirit. The paraclete, you know what that means? That means that God, when he passed away, when he died, when he gave his life away, that he sent somebody to be a helper. Can you say helper? helper. Which means that when you're in certain situations, the helper will give you suggestions that sometimes sound like doubt. Because it's questioning your faith. God, this is what I want. And the small voice says, are you sure? It's not questioning saying that it's a bad idea. It's asking you, Do you are you sure? Because once you say you want that, I got this, this care package. That's going to help you build that. God, I want faith. The Holy Spirit says, are you sure? Because I got this sickness thing over here. You, you sure? I got this season of you and your family about to eat each other alive because y'all can't hear each other. You sure you want some faith? Let me give you another one. God, I want to learn how to trust folks. Are you sure? The Holy Spirit is the helper. He stands between you and God. It says, that, it says in Romans that the Holy Spirit literally can interpret your moans and your groans. The Holy Spirit can interpret your tears that fall. So when you ask God for something or if you tell God that you want something, sometimes God doesn't have to say anything. He sends his spirit to help you. 
The last one is God can speak through peace. Don't miss this. When you have nothing to worry about. You ever been in that space? We all remember a time like where we couldn't breathe and like we were going through anxiety or depression or like we couldn't. God, the day can't come when it gets any better than this. But then when you're living in that day, more peace comes to you when you remember about how tore up you were before. Isn't that funny? That once you're free, when you look back at what you went through, it doesn't scare you anymore, but you actually get more peace from it. That's like, that's, that's the craziest thing. Let's go to the next point. Number four, does blank know your voice? Does your family know your voice? Does your money know your voice? Does your opportunity, your body, your mind, does your situation know the sound of your voice? We hear sermons about the dry bones all the time, how people talked about, we talk about the dry bones. They were so dry, dry, powder cake, so dry, 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 dry. But what did God tell Ezekiel to do? Not to talk about them, but to do what? Talk to them. In Genesis, God spoke to everything so that when he called its name, it knew how to respond. Genesis 3.9, remember Adam and Eve? Even though they had already like messed up, they ate the fruit, whatever it was. It could have been a pineapple or a papaya, even though they taste like armpit. It could have been whatever it was, whatever fruit. But regardless of how much they were ashamed of themselves, when God in Genesis 3.9 says, Adam, where are you? Adam had to respond because God created him. What if you looked at your situation and demanded that it respond to you? You want to know what that looks like? Everybody, take out your phone. Take out your phone. Can you bring me mine, please? Take out your phone. Take out your phone. Quick, 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 quick. I want you to turn the front camera on. When you got to say yeah. Now look at yourself. What do you see? What do you see? Who do you see? Talk to me. Who do you see? You see an old lady. You want to know what I see when I see? I see somebody that has all the wealth that he needs to do what God called him to do. What do you see? You see a banker. What a, talk to me. What do you see? I see a man that has everything that he needs for his family, everything that he needs for his business, every single situation that you walk into, you can have it. Start talking to yourself. Talk to yourself. Just do it. It might feel awkward, but this is how we were made. Every time you walk into a business meeting, every time you walk into a room, everybody's head should turn. Not because you're cocky, but because you got something that they need. If you started to look at every situation and demand that it respond to you, how much change would happen? You wouldn't need anybody to pray for you. You would be able to look in the mirror. I was having this conversation with Jeremy at the gym. There's multiple times where, like, I'm looking at myself in the mirror and, like, I start feeling sorry for myself. But I have a choice to make. Am I going to look at myself and talk about him? Or am I going to use the gift that God gave Ezekiel and am I going to prophesy to him? This is what it sounds like for me. And don't judge me. I'm progressing. I'm not perfect. Sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I'm saying, you know what? You are just a waste of life right now. What are you doing? Do you know who you are? You are a child of the most high God. What is wrong with you? Why are you thinking this way? Your brain isn't meant to be this way. Your brain is not supposed to be a prison. Get up. 
Get up and stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop looking for somebody to make a way out of your way. Like, why are you worried about it? Yeah, those 10 people said what they said about your ministry on Sunday, but who cares? They were with you when you were studying the word. Yeah, they talk about your family, but they've never been in your living room when you're all on your hands and knees asking God what the next version is. Do you know who you are? Because when you know who you are, you can remind yourself of who you are. You want to know? You want to know how? Let me help you out. Galatians 3.20 says that you are God's child. John 15.15 says that you are a friend of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says a whole person. You are a new living being in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 says that God, that Joshua, you are God's work of art. Regardless of how you think you've been put together physically, God put every single piece there on purpose. Regardless of how you think about it. My butt's too big. My skin is too wet. Like, I got too much skin. God was like, that's beautiful because I put it all there. Because there's a certain group of people that look just like you. So if you go, to, so if you go and try to get, take care of it, you will lose your witness to those folks. Any people in this room that you feel too black or too white, you are. Why? Because there's a group of people that need to look at you and gain confidence because you look at yourself and you have confidence in yourself. I got a gap in my mouth. Yes, you do. Don't get the braces because there are people that need confidence that have a gap in their mouth. My family's messed up. That's great because you need to be able to walk into a family situation that's not working out and say, look what God did here. And I didn't trade this family in for another one. I decided to look at my family. Instead of looking at what's at you, look at your stuff and be like, you, you looking unfamiliar. This is not the way that I saw it going. Like, you ever chastised a child? My dad used to do it all the time. You were a Williams. He used to, like, hit me in my chest. And a lot of the reason why our boys are soft is because they're not able to be fathered. Let's be honest. Eight years old, he would pop me in my chest. He'd be like, who, who are you? Who am I talking to right now? Because this, I don't know who this is. This isn't the son that I birthed. I don't, I don't know who this is, but he needs to get out of here. In some of your situations, you need to look at your finances and be like, debt, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what you, this, I can't buy what I want to as much as I want, when I want. I don't know where you are, but you need to go to hell back where you came from. You cuss out there, can we, like, like, can we use the holy word in here? Confusion in your family. I don't know. We can't sleep. We can't eat. We can't even be in the same room together. I don't know what you're doing here, but, but you, you got to go. <laughs> no, matter of fact, you need to die. I don't want you to go because if you go, you can leave breadcrumbs to get back here. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use every word of the living God to slay you. What if you use your words to destroy things in your life? Because I think God is like a big dad. Like, you ever, like, talk to, like, your kids and been like, I'm going to go take care of it? Have you ever had your kid be like, no, nah, daddy, I got it? Woo! I don't even got kids, but I'm going to be like, that's Because God's like Guido. We pay protection to him like American gangster, literally. By keeping my loyalty to you, he's the type of person that looks at somebody and just goes, and they're gone. But what do you think happens to God's faith in you? When you walk into a situation and God is so used to you complaining about it 
And he says, oh, God, what do they want from me? And you say, hold, hold up. I got this. I don't know who that's for, but someone needs to scream at me, I, I got this. No, scream like you actually got it. Say, I got this one. I got, I got this one, God. You've given me enough power and strength that when I walk into something, you're good. You got to go. Because the minute that you say something, your yes is backed up by the yes of God. Remember that part in The Lion King when Simba was trying to figure out his roar and it wasn't working out? What happened when Mufasa stood behind him? In the movie, Simba can't tell if it's his roar or if it came from somewhere else. I would even go so much to say that Simba even believed that it was his roar. What if your roar was the same roar of the Son of God? What if every time you said something, you believed that God was literally speaking through you to your situation? That when I speak, God has said something. When I say something, Jesus Christ has walked into the room. You're going to walk into your job space so lit tomorrow. When I, this is mine. Your boss, your supervisor. Hey, Jim. Hey, look. Hey. Keep my seat warmer just a little bit because I'm coming for it. You're going to have a different type of confidence. Because when stuff starts to happen in your family, Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming. And it's supposed to be the two most awkward times of the year. We're supposed to have more suicides on Christmas and Thanksgiving than we do when the Huskers lose. That's not a joke. That's not a joke. That's not a joke. Sunday morning, sometimes the reason why people aren't here is because they're in their bathroom. Suspended two feet above the ground. But what if you were able to look at your depression and say, I don't know, you're, this is not, you're not supposed to be here. I was built that when I see myself, I see wonderfully and beautifully made, but I don't believe it. So sometimes you got to do this thing called the law of repetition. Somebody say the law of repetition. You know what it looks like? It looks like this. When you got opposition at you, it says, I can and when you start to feel something else, guess what it says the next day? Then what does it say? Then what? Talk to me. Talk to me. Talk to me. And then at some point in time, you're sprinting so fast, screaming that I can. It doesn't matter what's in front of you because God's yes is behind your I can. Let me wrap this sermon up. I'm way over. Romans 5.8 says that you are loved. Psalms 8.5 says that you are just like God. The word of God says that you, look at you, say you. you. Well, say you. Yeah. That you were created literally a little bit lower than what? God himself. We have all these different translations of the Bible because people are afraid of you knowing who the heck you are. When God created you, he literally pulled his finger off, put it on the ground, breathed into it. If you have a child, is that child you? Then how many years have we been trained to believe that we can call God our father but not believe that we are truly just like him? What situations have you been through that would make you believe that you are not just like God? We can say it. We can say, we can say I'm just like God. I'm just like God. I'm just like God. But what if you said, I am a God? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's uncomfortable. I am a God. Small g, but I am a God. 
How can you tell me I come from a God, but I'm not like him? I wasn't adopted. I was bought with a price. So when God walks into the room, God walks in the room. Look at your neighbor say, I'm a God. Do you know? Look at, talk to them. Do you know? If you knew who you were sitting next to, you would talk to me a little bit different. If you knew who you were sitting next to, you would buy my Christmas present yesterday. So here we go, number five. Look at your neighbor and say, no sarcasm. No sarcasm. Pastor Martin's going to teach a, um, um, the dream matrix. I'm telling you, if you don't, if it's the last $190, $200 that you got, it's amazing fertile ground. Anybody make it to Vegas last year or two years ago? Listen, Pastor Martin takes you through so many different exercises that get you to this place where you realize that being selfish should be your number one priority. You can't take care of other people if you can't take care of yourself. A lot of y'all were looking in the room like, I'm a God, and you couldn't even verbally say it. I saw people back there fighting me. That's religion. God doesn't live in religion. If a dog has a dog, it's a what? If a cat has a cat, it's a what? If a cow has a cow, it's a what? If a God has a God, it's a what? What are you? Listen to this. No sarcasm. The universe has no idea when you're joking. If Adam was naming the animals and there was a duck, he's like, oh, I'm going to call you a booba. We will be calling ducks what? Why? Because what he said when it came out of his mouth, it was like God was saying it. So in your situation, you cannot say, oh, my God, this situation is killing me. Don't know. You can't say, oh, my God, these kids are causing me to lose my mind. There you go. You will have what you As a man... So is, it's not necessarily saying that once you say that God makes it happen. No, it says that what you even think is so powerful that you can will it into existence. Well, I don't know. He's just going to end up in jail. Why? 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 Well, I don't know. You might as well leave him. He's just going to cheat on you. Whoa, you have just now inhabited an atmosphere for it to be okay for it to happen. I don't know where the money's going to come from. I don't even know why I would like to go to school. Now the teachers are already thinking, that nah, she doesn't want to be here. Just based off of what you say and what you think. Everywhere counts. Look at your neighbor. Say, everywhere counts. This is the reason why Bible knowledge is so important. Because in some cases, you won't hear God. Some cases, you won't have the words to say. In some cases, the enemy is going to be daunting you. But if you know the word of God and you realize that God speaks through his word, you'll be able to read all those scriptures that I was talking about and be able to talk yourself back to the place where God created you from. Yeah, 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 yeah. In those moments where, where, your, where your kids are going crazy, you'll be able to look at God and say, like, no, you said where two or three are gathered together, that you are there. So, God, if I'm here with my wife and my crazy, bad children, that means that you're in this place. So, God, I give you permission to breathe in our life. What would happen if you walked into your situation and told it what to do rather than allowing it to tell you what it was going to do by itself? Matthew 18 18 through 19. It says, whatever you loose or bind on earth will be loosed where? A lot of the stuff in your life that you're praying for God to remove, God is just waiting for you to demand him to remove it. God's like, why are you asking permission for something that you know you don't want? That's like going to Thanksgiving and somebody putting uh, yams on my plate and me saying, oh, I, I don't think I like that. No, I'm going to be like, get that off my plate. God wants you to demand, declare, and decree what you want. 
so that he can just give it to you. That's how the steps work. Whatever you say, that's what I'm supposed to give you. What kind of father would tell you to ask for what you want and wouldn't give it to you? It's because you got to ask correctly. There's one way to ask. You can say, God, I'd really like this to happen in my life. There's another way to ask. It's when you attach what God said to your request. God, you said in Matthew 18, 18 through 19, that whatever I bind is supposed to be bound. So this foolish raggediness in my family, I bind it in the name of Jesus. That's why your words are so important. That's why worship and prayer is so important. That's why every time that the first sound comes from worship, this altar should be full. Why? Not because what's happening is up here. No, it's because the atmosphere is being created for you to have a direct line of communication with God that you can't get from the purple seat. You want to know why? Because in the purple seat, people are still trying to figure out if they believe it or not. But the people up here already know what it is, and they're just practicing what they know is true. So if you're sitting in the purple seat during worship, during, uh, during worship or during prayer, I'm not trying to say that you don't believe it, but it, you might just still be trying to figure it out. The reason why some people lay out up here is because they're sold out to it. They're talking to God about stuff that they've shown them. They're talking to God about things that they want. They're saying, God, you said, you said this, this is what I want. What if you attach what God already gave you in prayer to what you're asking for? God, you said that I'm free, so I declare freedom. That sounds a little bit different than, hey, God, can, I'm kind of bound. Can I, can I, can I get a, li a just little, bit of, little bit of, no. You said I can be free, so I demand it. You told me that I can speak to the enemy in my life and cast it back to hell. Rather than looking at the enemy and saying, oh, God, can you, uh, uh, can you help me? The enemy over here. I mean, he want the whole check, not a piece of it. He don't want a quarter. I mean, he want the, the whole thing. No, what you should be doing is saying, God, I got this. You need to go somewhere. I don't know how you're going to get there or how fast you're going to get there, but you're going to carry yourself. 